Coming up next, it's me, Mike Gallagher, right after Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Good morning. Good morning, Dan and Amy, and uh, excellent piece in the Wall Street Journal from Jason Riley. Gosnell, like its namesake, faces a media blackout. He uh, points to uh, the Gosnell film released last week. Uh, Cracked the top ten box office receipts for its opening weekend, despite completely being ignored. I mean, it was difficult enough to get to theaters. Now it's completely ignored. Try and see it in Chicago. You can't. You have to go to an outlying suburb around here. Uh, the uh, Jason Riley goes to the case of this Philadelphia abortionist who was convicted of murder in 2013, serving a life sentence in prison, no possibility of parole. Um, and uh, he recounts how the movie was treated very much like Gosnell's trial in 2013, with the national media ignoring it, other than Fox News. The liberal press, writes Riley, knew the story would cast a negative light on abortion, and that concerned them much more than bringing to justice a doctor who committed infanticide and routinely risked the health of women. Ultimately, social media shamed the press into covering the trial, but you won't be shocked to find out that the interest in the story hasn't lasted. Some outlets have refused to run ads for the film, and almost all major publications have declined to review it, which uh, explains why I had so little company on Friday, writes Riley, when he went to see it the, the, the day it opened. For more on this uh, and a couple of other matters of cultural import, we're pleased to be joined again by our friend Andrew Clavin. Uh, his uh, he's a podcaster in addition to a Hollywood screenwriter. Another Kingdom. Uh, he's uh, also, I mean, in addition to True Crime, uh, which was made in, Clint Eastwood made into a movie. Uh, he's uh, the screenwriter for the Gosnell movie. Uh, Andrew Clavin, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Always great to be here. Thanks. Um, so, uh, what about the completely unsurprising? Uh, entertainment uh, press treatment of the Gosnell movie? Well, it's actually kind of interesting because they could have chosen what they do with most uh, pro-American, Christian, or anti-abortion films. They could have just chosen <laughs> to rip into it, but in- instead they chose to absolutely ignore it, which is what they did to the trial in the first case. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating to me about this is you could take a, a point of view that says, look, this is not a film about abortion. This was a guy who was murdering children. They were, the children were born. He didn't really know what he was doing, so he would deliver the children and then kill them. And that's murder in anyone's book. I mean, most states have a limitation on abortion up at 20 weeks, which is, um, you know, five months, which is appalling anyway. But this was way, way beyond that. So they could have just said, well, this is not abortion. This is an infanticide. And, of course, we all agree it's against the law. And we, we're not going to. Uh, we're not going to talk about abortion in this case, which is kind of what the judge said when she wanted to try the case. But instead they ignored it, which really speaks to me about a sense of guilt and shame about what they're supporting in the first place. They could have made the argument that it wasn't about abortion, but they didn't because they know it is. Well, and the, that to me is what really reveals where they stand. The other thing, though, too, is they want to continue to prop up the uh, narrative that uh, no abortionist is Kermit Gosnell and every pro-life activist is Eric Rudolph. Well, that, that's right. You know, the, the, the scene in the movie that is the scene that it, kind of is a linchpin of the movie is when they try to bring forward a witness, the good abortionist, the person who doesn't do these things, who follows the law, and on the witness stand, and this was right out of the trial, uh, I took this right out of the trial transcript, 
on the witness stand, she describes what a real abortion looks like, and it doesn't look all that different from what Kermit Gosnell was doing. And I think that's why they cannot cover this story. They could make an argument, but they don't. They just turn their eyes, they put their hands over their eyes like the monkeys in the see no evil uh, you know, trilogy, uh, trinity, and, and they, they just ignore it because once they start talking about it, they really have to confront what this is. And you, know, you only have to listen to the kinds of language that uh, Planned Parenthood and other pro-abortion people use when they talk about women's health care and a women, woman's right to choose. And, you know, even the, even the word abortion is kind of, uh, you know, a, a cleaned up word for what really is going on. I'm not going to describe the process because it's too disturbing to talk about on the air. But, I, you know, it really is. So it's something that we need to confront in ourselves. It's something we need to ask ourselves about, right and left. We need to ask ourselves if we want a society that knows how to deal with uh, unwanted children and, and how what to do with them, because it's it's not going to it's not going to go away by pointing fingers and screaming at one another. We need to develop a culture that you know welcomes children into the world and has a place for them. Well, so this movie is about his thirty-year killing spree and the political and media establishment that tried to cover it up. How is that portrayed in the film? Well, I'm, it, it's you know what it is is it's an arrest and trial drama. You know, obviously. Nobody wants to go to the movies and watch, uh, you know, gore and bloodshed, and uh, that's not what we were trying to do at all. This is a story about an investigation and a trial, and, uh, you know, they worked very hard to make sure it had a PG-13 rating. But in the testimony and in the investigation, it comes out that this thing was reported again and again. There were complaints about this guy again and again. There's a stack of complaints that was big enough to make it like a thousand-page book. Nobody wanted to go near it. They did not want to put abortion in a bad light. And so again and again, they closed their eyes to the abuse of poor women, uh, the abuse of black women, the abuse of people who had nowhere else to go. And they just closed their eyes because they did not want this issue to come out. Everybody knew that you did not mess around with the abortion factory. And that was that was why it got covered up. Uh, I don't ask this often, but I think it's. Uh... It's an important question. The uh, personal consequences, career consequences to you. I mean, you're somebody whose uh, books have been optioned into huge movies, true crime, Clint Eastwood, Don't Say a Word. Uh, what, uh, what is your outspokenness as a conservative and doing projects like this done to your standings, quote unquote, in Hollywood? Well, there's no question. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much of it was intentional, but, you know, there's no way to tell. But there's no question that it curtailed my Hollywood career, which was, uh, uh, for several years, a very good one. I mean, I was selling multiple scripts in a year, and uh, that, that all dried up the minute I started to uh, speak my mind about political issues and, and issues like this. I have to be honest with you, though. I, I have never lost a minute's sleep over this. And, and the reason is I, I see the role of being a writer as the role of searching for and speaking the truth, even when you're telling stories, even when I'm making up crime dramas. I mean to tell the truth about what people are like and what they do to each other and how those systems work. And, and some, there are some truths you can only tell by telling fiction, by telling stories. To live a life in which I'm uh, curtailed in what I can say for fear that some uh, fat cat producer isn't going to like me anymore. Uh, that's not a life I'm, I'm here to live at all. And so I, I never, I, I, just my view of my own work 
is not a, a careerist view. It's a, it's a view of trying to do something that appeals to people and entertains people, but also speaks to the real world insofar as I'm capable of doing it. So, you know, it's never been, I've never, I'm not a martyr. I'm not a hero. You know, it's none of that stuff. I just, I just do what I do. And if it costs me in Hollywood, I, really, that's, you know, it, that's really does not keep me awake at Is night at all. this one of your proudest projects? I mean, do you put your heart and soul into this? And tell me what I, you I have to tell you, uh, the great Pulitzer Prize winning cartoonist, uh, Michael Ramirez, sent me a, a picture uh, that he had cartoon he had done of the Gosnell trial of, of babies in um, in the guise of Holocaust victims behind a barbed wire fence, and I posted it above my desk. And every day that I sat down to write this script, uh, I felt that presence there in, uh, very powerfully. And I felt, uh, you know, I really felt like <laughs> I, I had them sitting on my shoulder. I had to do a good job. I did the best I could. Uh, I'm proud of the way it came out. Nick Searcy, uh, the actor, uh, d- directed it, and he did a great job as well. Uh, but yeah, you know that's that's something you don't mess around. You're telling a, a true story. There are victims. Uh, there are people who are watching you from another plane, and uh, you got to mm. be responsible to them. Outstanding. Um, I want to get your take on uh, the controversy du jour this week, Elizabeth Warren, uh, a fellow uh, sort of uh, maverick uh, uh, movie maker, and Eli Steele, the son of the great Shelby Steele. Eli's great himself. He uh, did this documentary, How Jack Became Black. We've had him on the show uh, promoting his documentary, which is excellent. If you haven't seen it, you're missing out. He had a good piece at uh, Fox News website yesterday, and he just asked this simple question. If we had spent the last 50 years moving toward character instead of skin color as a much more sensible way to define ourselves, would anyone outside of Warren's family and friends care about Warren's heritage? Why should they? That, uh, it's so, that is so true. That, uh, by the way, that is a wonderful documentary, How Jack Became Black. And, and I, I, it is so true that the entire system of identity politics is simply racism with a smiling face. And it, it is just, you know, when I talk to college kids, they always phrase their questions in terms of skin color. And it's like, it's not a question of being colorblind. We can all see what color people are. It's a question of moral uh, apprehension. It's a question of saying, I choose to overlook this little sheath of skin that's on you, and I choose to look at you as an individual and make my decisions that way. And, you know, you can hear on TV this machinery for translating every single issue into race. You know, I mean, I, I was watching a news program where they were talking about Trump said something, oh, it's a dangerous time, a scary time for young men. And they translated it into it's a scary time for, for young white men. And I thought, well, he didn't say that. It had nothing to do with that. You, know? right. you can disagree with him, but why does everything come down to this? Racism has always been a way of setting people against one another, of dividing people for, for reasons of power. It remains that in the form of identity politics. It's a way of turning Americans against one another so that they can, they can make the argument that you need the government to take care of you. It is it's either right to look at people according to the color of their skin or it's wrong. And I think it is obviously wrong and we should just stop doing it and we should stop allowing the press, which is the left, to do it as well. Well, going back to President Trump and what he said, a scary time for young men. Do you believe that it is? Uh, you know, you know I, I think what was scary. Uh, no, I think what was scary was the willingness to overthrow due process uh, just to get at a judge, uh, you know, at, at Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, we've had this three times now. We've had the Bork hearing, we've had uh, the Clarence Thomas hearing, and now we've had the Kavanaugh hearing, where the left is willing to do 
anything in order to keep the power to rewrite the Constitution from the words that are actually on the page into what they think should be there. And you do not see this. You do not see this the other way around. They can talk all they want about delaying Merrick Garland. They didn't try to destroy the guy's life. They voted for uh, Elena Kagan. The, the GOP voted for Elena Kagan. They voted for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. They have not responded in kind because it's not the same argument. They're we're arguing for judges who will say what is in the Constitution, to play the referee over the laws that are passed. They're arguing for, for judges who will rewrite the Constitution as they feel it should have been written in the first place. That's a very different argument. And so they have to go after good judges and destroy their character and attack their lives. And we, the GOP simply doesn't do it. it. It doesn't happen. And so I think it was a scary time for America. I'm so happy it worked out the way it did, not just because I think Kavanaugh will be a, a decent judge, but because I think it was, it was a beautiful thing to see politicians stand up to what was, in fact, a mob being encouraged by the press and by people in power to uh, just destroy a guy, just to destroy a guy without due process. That's scary. I think that's scary for everybody because anybody can be destroyed. Anybody can tell lies about you. You know, anybody, your, your ex-husband, your ex-wife can call your employer and start saying things. And if you don't have the presumption of innocence, uh, you just can be destroyed so easily. You're, uh, that's Andrew Clavin, and by the way, uh, your answer to what it means to be a writer should be like uh, cut and pasted and broadcast in every uh, lit class at high school and college around the country. It was great. Uh, he's a podcaster, of course, in Other Kingdom, a famed Hollywood screenwriter, and the screenwriter for the Gosnell movie, The Trial of America's Biggest Serial Killer, which is in theaters somewhat near well, you, Woodridge, but find them. Yeah, Woodridge, Addison, and Crestwood are the closest ones. There you go. Find them in Chicagoland and elsewhere. Andrew Clavin, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Always a pleasure. Yes, thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.proanswer.